mental health, race, relationships, art, and culture. I'm your host, Barry, some big-brained, headstrong black chick from San Francisco, living as a nomad with lots to say. All I can promise is authenticity. The rest is a jet-set journey. You're listening to Queen and Compass, which means you're doing the right damn thing. So let's just dive right in. Um, First of all, I would like to say thank you for giving me the chance. Thank you for being here. Um, I know that sounds super churchy. I will warn you right now, there is nothing churchy about this podcast. We will be talking about all kinds of hedonistic, sinful topics over the episodes. So turn away now if you are looking for something to guide you to the higher powers, because it ain't me. So, (laughs) let's just get to the point of what is the purpose of this podcast? Um, Why am I relevant to discuss anything going on here? Um, I would just probably begin to answer that by saying that my identity and my existence are a protest. And I would be saying that even if it weren't July 2020, where there are actual protests going on around the world, but I've felt this way for a long time. Um, So maybe if I start by introducing myself and giving you the, you know, statistics of who I am, you'll understand why I feel that my identity is a protest. First of all, my name is Aberry. I come from San Francisco, California, actual San Francisco, where I was born and raised. Um, I am a black American woman, cisgender woman, if that matters to you or not. Um, And I am an expat. I currently live in France, but I have lived throughout Europe for the past five, six years on and off, honestly. Um, And... So where do I get this idea that my identity is a protest? Well, I travel a lot. Um, And given that, I discuss my life and my life story and all of that quite often with strangers and and peers and colleagues and co-workers and all the kinds of people that I've come across in my years of traveling. Um, And what I've found is that people unexpectedly relate to me. Um, And now I say unexpectedly because the reality is, as a black American woman um, traversing this world, people obviously have preconceived notions uh, about what, what my background might be, what my purpose might be, what my history has been. And I can tell you probably 10 out of 10 times they are completely wrong. And that is part of the reason that I'm here, because I want to represent myself, but also represent kind of an alternative story of what can come out of uh, a black woman, what can come out of a woman, what can come out of an American, what comes out of those identities that I have, because I have um, somehow become a very peculiar cross-section of all of those identities. And I live a very peculiar life that is of interest to a lot of people because there's nothing typical about it. So when I'm telling my life story to people, they're often very intrigued about the life that I live. And of course, I don't want to 
say it's just because I'm black and and they don't expect it. But a lot of times I, I think that's what it is. And for me, that's been an important reason, actually, to drive me to continue to travel and continue to talk to people that I meet around the world. Because it gives people with my identity more humanity. So whether that be oh, they finally met an American who doesn't adhere to the ugly American stereotype, or they finally met a woman who is, on one hand, very academically um, focused, but also very openly sexual and uh, very much into her appearance and and kind of breaking down those dichotomies, or whether it's um, just their impressions of what African-American people are like, or whatever it may be. But... The common denominator is that everything about me is completely atypical in the way that my identities come together. So I am here, hopefully, to continue to um, kind of provoke that response out of people. Now, I feel that this is particularly important given what's going on in the world right now because... People with my identity, whether that be women, black women, black people, Americans, whatever, um, there's a lot of dehumanization going on in the world. And I feel that by simply sharing my story, that I can provoke someone to think differently about about others, essentially. Not just about me, but to think differently about assumptions and to to hopefully represent um, a type of woman, a type of black woman, a type of American that you've never seen before. Um, I will first and foremost say that I'm not here to give advice. Um, I, this is not a self-help podcast. This is There's nothing niche about this podcast because niche is marketing term, and I'm not a product to be marketed. I'm not a spokesperson for women, for black people, for black women, for Americans. However, on the other hand, I do represent all of those things, and I don't represent any of them exclusively. They are all me. They're all relevant to who I've become, and I will always preface um, if I am speaking for an entire group of people, but that's certainly not my goal. My goal, in the shortest sense, is to provoke new consideration. So I hope that by the end of each episode, I've given you something to either rethink, reframe, something new to think about even, in some cases, and just to provoke thought. Because what I see a lot in this world is that there's an absence of real, real, deep, critical, personal thinking. And... A lot of times that's because we don't have something to provoke us to think. A lot of things that we consume in society, all media forms, are actually designed to prevent us from thinking too deeply. So I hope to do the opposite and to provoke that. I am provocative in my nature, so I don't mean that in a way that I want everything to be inflammatory. I'm not here to be controversial. I'm just here to increase representation, and to perhaps tell stories that you've never heard, or to tell stories that you've heard many times, but to urge you to rethink 
about what they mean and what they indicate about you and the way you relate to the world and the world itself and identity and all of that. So, whew, we got that pretty much down. Um, I just want to spend the rest of this episode discussing what the podcast will be about. You know, I just mentioned that this is not a niche podcast because I'm not a niche type of person. I dabble in all kinds of things. I'm good at a lot of things. I'm an expert in very few of them. However, I, I've spent so much time accepting the fi- fact that there's nothing typical about me and that I don't fit into categories. And I want that pod- this podcast to represent that as well. There are no categories here that I need to fit into. I'm not interested, I have no reason to, so let's just get into the topics. Um, Actually, (laughs) before we get into the topics, uh, no, 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 okay, we're going for the topics. I'll start by saying we will have plenty of mental health discussions here. I am a millennial. I was born in 1994 in May. I'm a hot, sexy, stubborn Taurus woman, so... Mental health is just something that my generation tends to talk about a lot, and I'm no different because it's a huge part of my life, and it's um, very much responsible for a lot of the peculiar things that I mentioned earlier that have happened in my life, and I believe a huge amount of my success comes down to the fact that I incorporate mental health into everything that I do, essentially. Also, one of the major topics um, will be travel. My entire life surrounds travel. I'm known amongst my peers as the traveling person. It is now the business that I've decided to, for the moment, devote my life to. Um, And I think travel has been probably one of the largest building blocks to who I am today. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to do it. And I honestly want to spend the rest of my life making sure that other people have the opportunity because it's the most transformative thing I think you can do in life. So, so far, mental health, travel. Obviously, discussions of race will come up. I'm a black woman. This is not a race podcast, though. We're not here just to discuss racial issues. But it's pretty much impossible to ignore Uh, when it's frankly brought up to me every day in some form or another. Um, That may be surprising to some of you, but living life as a black woman requires me to be forced to think about race almost every single day. And again, that is regardless of what is going on in July 2020 as I release this. Um, We'll have a lot of discussions about confidence as well. For many years of my life, People have commented on how confident I am. How did you become confident? Where did you get that from? Questioning, is it real? Is she just conceited? All of those questions. And again, while I don't want this to be a self-help podcast, I do want people to maybe reframe how they think about confidence and and from that maybe learn how to incorporate that more into their daily life. Because without confidence... um, Achieving the things that you want uh, is, it's really, really fucking hard, to put it straight. Um, With that, we'll have lots of discussions as well about the body. Um, 
and, and not just the actual body, but the perceptions of the body and of, um, the, of the female body in all of its glorious forms, I should say. Um, and how that, of course, relates to sex and sexuality. And I, I battled a lot about whether to discuss sex and sexuality on this podcast because this is out there forever. But it's been such a huge part of my life, and it is also, again, a huge part of my identity. Like, besides the fact that I present myself as a sexy person, and I am perceived that way, I'm not going to be humble about it. Um, besides that, like, it's just something that I have spent a lot of time thinking about, a lot of time experiencing, and um, sexuality has been a huge, huge part of developing who I am, and, and as well as creating turning points in my life. So that as well, we'll obviously discuss current events as they go on in the world. I think that's pretty much inevitable for any podcast. Um, some of you may not relate as well to this, but it's, again, part of me. Uh, I will be talking quite a bit about fashion and luxury because that's actually my first passion before travel. It is also what my master's degree is in. Um, I will go into that a bit more, of course. Um, but I actually think fashion ties into a lot of the topics I've already mentioned. Um, it's not, again, about giving fashion advice, but discussing the importance of it, the relevance of it, and um, maybe reframing it in a way that you can respect it more as, as a real academic topic. Um, and luxury, because I'm a Taurus, and I can't help but talk and live luxury, because... I don't know, I just like pleasure and hedonism and feeling good and looking good and all that juicy stuff. Um, going back to sexuality, obviously I'll discuss relationships. I am, as of recording this, in a relationship with a white Italian male, so I will obviously discuss the implications of interracial relationships, and this may be an area that I will tend to give more advice than is probably necessary, even though I said I wasn't going to give advice. And last but not least, we will discuss art and culture because that's the world we live in and we can't ignore it because it reflects the realities of everything that's going on. And it's a center, central point in my life. I couldn't do anything without art and the cultures that come with it. Now, before I kind of jump into my life story and explaining again why I'm relevant to discuss any of these topics, um, I will probably put this in the intro, but I just want to reiterate that I will always do my best to be considerate of all genders and all sexualities when I'm speaking. I am, of course, speaking as a cisgender woman. Um, as to whether I'm straight or not, I don't really know, frankly, so I can't say that I'm a straight woman speaking. But, you know, this I will also uh, try my best not to use ableist language or, or concepts. Um, when it comes to blackness, I'm going to speak however the hell I want to about it, because that's a community that I represent. Same goes for mental health. Obviously, I'm going to try my best not to use derogatory language in that area. But I'm a heated person, and sometimes I get mad, and I'm not perfect, and I, <laughs> I know, hard to believe, <laughs> but I 
want to do my best to make sure that this feels like a safe space for all kinds of people. Um, I pride myself very much on being global in my point of view, so that also means cultural differences and cultural considerations that I will obviously um, do my best to consider while speaking. So, that being said, let's move on to the life story. Um, <laughs> this is going to be a lot, but I may have mentioned already that I will probably discuss all of these topics in depth on their own episodes. Um, I think I'm going to have specific episodes that are kind of more dedicated to just like story time because... I've, I've had a lot of weird stories go on in my life, and a lot of them are really juicy. Some of them are really tragic. Um, others are just interesting or bizarre, whatever. So I'm going to try to be as brief as I can, but it's been a long life, even at 26, and a lot of weird shit has gone down. So let's start. I just burped. Ooh, my first podcast burp. Yes, bitch. Anyway, um, let's start with my origin. San Francisco. What would I do without this place? Um, see, I'm already like wanting to go into stuff too deeply, but I'm so grateful to be from there because it's a cultural melting pot in the way that people actually describe America. People talk about America as the melting pot, blah, blah, blah. It's not. San Francisco truly is. You know, I've grown up with alongside all kinds of cultures, not just, I mean, ethnic cultures, but I mean, uh, sexual cultures, food cultures, all of these things kind of come together in San Francisco. And there's a reason we're considered a hippie town. Like, we're so considerate of all different kinds of people. And when I say we, I'm not speaking about the techies who have invaded and shat on our city. I mean, real San Franciscans who for decades if not centuries, I mean, it's, you know, an old place, for America especially, um, who for centuries have, have lived progressive lives, all the way starting from, like, the Barbary Coast, which is where, you know, pirates came to be man whores, basically, and just party and live it up. Like, we've had a history of being progressive. We're not perfect in that progress, but... There's a reason we have these associations of San Francisco is so gay, San Francisco is so liberal, those hippies, those stoners. It's all fucking true, and I'm so proud of it, because without it, I think I probably would have become kind of that ugly American, honestly. So, after being born, which I frankly do not remember, um, I was raised by essentially three main women, one of them, of course, being my mother, and the others being my two aunts. Disclaimer, I pronounce it aunts, okay? I know most people say aunt, they are my aunts, that's that. Um, neither of those two women are with us anymore, which is a another topic for another day, but... I come from a very matriarchal family. The men are definitely by the sideline. A lot of the men have completely deserted. Um, that goes for my mom and a lot of her sisters and my cousins. So it's a very um, lady-esque family. And on top of that, I went to all-girls school from kindergarten through grade 11. So in my early formative years, I 
would like to definitely attribute my upbringing to the women of the school that I went to, which I'll probably disclose at some point the name of that school. Um, but that's something else I attribute very much to who I am today, because for me it was never a question of what women can do, what women are like, um, what they contribute, because that's all I knew. Literally, I had no male figures growing up, and I know a lot of people see that as something of a, <laughs> a deficit, but for me, it was paradise, honestly. Um, so moving on from that, my education was, as I mentioned, uh, single-gender education, um, and it was very, very exclusive. I'm never going to be humble about the fact that I'm not humble, but modest, I should say, about the fact that I came from a very elite education, um, very much private school, typical story, uniforms, uh, the richest people in San Francisco, basically, and I went to what I believe is one of the best schools in San Francisco. According to the rankings, it kind of goes between one and another all-girls school. But, um, you know, I loved school. School was a happy place for me. It's something I know a lot of people can't relate to because they really hated school. But even in my hardest moments, I have always loved that school. Always will. It is like, thoroughly responsible for the the achievements that I've been able to, um, to have as an adult because that foundation was really strong. However, being one of the few black girls in the entire school for most of my um, education, there's obviously residual damage that comes from that. I did not grow up with a wealthy mother, and I was thrown in with... Like I said, some of the richest people in San Francisco, um, meaning these people literally influenced the politics of California and uh, Silicon Valley now, all these decades later. So there's obviously residual damage from that, but um, I would say it was like a good 85% super positive. And of course, I'll discuss the damage of what it's like um, growing up in that kind of environment. Um... So literally up until 8th grade, shit was good. I mean, I definitely had what people would consider tragedies, but they were never so grave that at the time they debilitated me from doing anything. Um, however, in 8th grade, I that's when I developed depression, and it's never gone away since. And in a lot of ways, I'm actually grateful for that, but I'm also grateful for the timing of that. Because I was in an environment where, you know, I was comfortable with these girls for almost all my life. And as I mentioned, the teachers at that school and the staff helped grow, helped me grow into who I am. So I'm really glad that I first discovered my mental health issues um, in a supportive environment where I was allowed to be me. So I... Just to give you a little background, I actually discovered that I had depression because I, for the first time, had the feeling of wanting to die. Sorry if that's triggering. I just I just got to put it out there. But not actually wanting to act on it, which is usually referred to parasuicidality. 
So, or parasuicidality, um, meaning that you have this urge to die, but you don't actually want to act on it. But that was a new feeling for me, and I remember expressing that to um, my advisor and teacher at the time, and that's when I started therapy. So, very grateful for that. It's been 12 years now since I've started therapy, um, and it's one of the most valuable things in my life. So that's that. Heavy, I know. Um, and for high school, I actually chose to go to boarding school. I think I only applied to maybe one or two day schools in San Francisco, and the rest were boarding schools across the U.S. Um, I'll be honest, it was really based on, like, preteen novels and, like, the impression of, like, boarding school being, like, this cool party place where you can, like, go into the forest at midnight and, like, do silly things with boys and smoke cigarettes and I'll be real that was a huge part of my decision and it turned out being uh pretty much nothing like that so that's that but I am again very grateful that I chose to go to boarding school um uh, that was in Marin County for those of you who are familiar with the Bay Area um so also during this entire time, I was an athlete. I have been an athlete my whole life. I'm one of those people who can pretty much just pick up any sport. I love sports. I don't play them very much anymore. But um, I think a lot of my confidence and even some might say my popularity in school came from my sports abilities. So that's um, kind of an, an interesting aspect of my life that doesn't play a huge role anymore. Um... So high school, again, is a different story time kind of situation, but when I was 16, I decided to leave the country for the first time. So it's been 10 years to this month that I'm recording this, that I first decided to go abroad, and it changed my life forever. Um, I decided I wanted to go to the UK. I am, I should uh, mention this, but I am an Anglophile, meaning someone who's basically obsessed with all things British, and I have been for as long as I can remember. So I was very set on going to the UK, but I knew there was no way that I could convince uh, my parental bodies, we'll say, to let me go there for no reason at 16. So I chose to go to Oxford and study there for the summer, um, meaning it was definitely an academic kind of uh, purpose. I studied psychology and pop culture as knowledge, as it was called, um, but mainly focusing on psychology. Life-changing, best, like one of the best things I've ever done. To this day, anytime I'm in the UK, I go to Oxford because it is one of my happy places in the entire world. Um, so again, another thing for story time. Then comes senior year of high school. I was expelled at this point. <laughs> Another story time. Uh, I ended up suing the school because they couldn't give a valid reason. And now that we're having race discussions so, so much uh, in the forefront, I do think that was a huge part of it, frankly. So after that, I went to public school for the first time in my whole life um, for grade 12, which is Really a horrible time to start public school if you've never been in it before. No shade to my classmates or anything. They are dealt a shitty hand. 
at least in this San Francisco public school, because for me, there was no challenge at that point. It was, I'm just here to like chat with people because the academics, frankly, were a joke. So that was kind of um, more of an eye-opening experience than anything, because I could see the real discrepancy between public and private school. So I'm going to try to pick up the pace here because I know this is already going long. But um, after that, I went to undergraduate. I applied to schools in the U.S. and in the U.K. as well. Um, I ended up going to the new school in New York City in Manhattan. Um, some of you may be like, what new school? That's kind of the joke. But the school is literally called the new school. Some of you may better know it as Parsons. Well, that's part of the new school, Parsons School of Fashion, where like Project Runway is filmed and all these designers went. And if, if you need the reference, Gigi and Bella Hadid went to the new school as well as one of the Beckham children. And if you're into the housewives, one of Lisa Rinna's daughters. And I don't know, now they call it like the celebrity school. But it's very, 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 very progressive not without flaw. A lot of it is um, performative, honestly. But um, I am overall glad that I chose to go there because it was a similar environment that I was used to. Um, so yeah, I lived in New York City for three years total. Um, it was a scary place to live at that age, but also um, a place that makes you grow up very quickly, um, but mostly in, in a good way, because I think I'm a lot tougher having gone there. Um, but New York is not the place for me as far as living. I figured that out after two years, and so I took my entire year, uh, third year, my junior year, abroad. Um, I started with a summer program in Verona, Italy, where I studied Italian language as well as English literature, Shakespeare, basically. After that, I immediately went to King's College London. Shout out to that school for really, like, literally contributing amazing things to society. Um, and spent one of the best probably half a year in my life in London. It's where I fell in love with the city. It's, again, one of the reasons why I am there four, five, six times a year. Because I had an incredible time during that study abroad period. Um, immediately after that, I went to the American University of Paris for a semester. Um, also a very, very difficult period for me. I actually went through a process of, not process, but the experience of emotional abuse for the first time there. So that's definitely a period of my life that was seriously transformative, and it began my extreme love-hate, but mostly hate relationship with Paris. And I know that's bizarre, because I actually still live there, but um, it was it was hard fucking times, we'll just leave it at that. Um, I went back to New York City, finished my senior year, and immediately after that I went to Thailand for a vacation trip. Another life-changing trip because I lost one of my friends, not lost as in she died, but I lost one of my friends of 16 years during that trip, but also very grateful for that in a very strange way. Um, after I returned from Thailand, I worked for Lush Cosmetics for a year back in San Francisco, 
Um, I had never worked in my life at that point. Haven't done much formal work since, frankly. But I learned a lot working at Lush, not just about skincare, but about how I could apply the kind of international out- outlook that I had that I had garnered. Um, how to apply that in a in a work setting? Because I I worked at the Fisherman's Wharf location. If you're familiar with San Francisco, you'll know that that's a very touristy area. So I kind of got to put my global perspective to use during my time working at Lush Cosmetics. So that was pretty fun. So I also mentioned before that I'm very much into academics, always have been, loved school. I knew that working after getting my master's, uh, my undergrad, by the way, I should mention that my undergrad was in psychology with a minor in history. Um, See, if I knew anything about podcasting, I would have mentioned that before instead of rushing through it. But anyway, I have a psychology degree. Um, And after that, I realized that I needed to get back into the classroom and that working in retail was certainly not for me. I knew that I didn't want to be a psychologist because it's really fucking heavy job. And I'm really glad that I didn't because I can't handle the gravity of sitting in a room and listening to people tell their tragic stories. Um, I know there's other types of psychology, but I didn't want to be in a clinical setting either. Um, but I, I, I speak of it in a way that sounds like um, I regret it, and I absolutely do not. I think psychology is an excellent base to kind of navigating the rest of your life, not just understanding yourself, but it gave me a lot of empathy because before I judge most people, I, I consider what is their background, what might be making them act this way, all of those kinds of things. Um, So after that, I spent uh, many, many months studying for my GMAT exams to get into business school for my master's degree. Um, I hated that. I'm really horrible at standardized testing, even though I get very good grades in general. Um, But I applied for the first time to a foreign university in Paris, uh, the main campus is not in Paris, but I knew that I needed to be in a big city. Um, So I applied for my degree, got accepted to, I think, two programs, and chose to um, pursue my master's degree in fashion, comma, design, comma, luxury management. Just to be clear, it's not fashion design. It is essentially a business degree, so it's a master's of science. Um, that is basically built to be the the middleman between the creatives who work in luxury, fashion, and design, and the business side of things. So I would uh, essentially serve as the middleman, the managerial position that that brings together the creatives and the business folks, which... um, Sounds kind of useless, but you'll find that in a lot of creative industries, you need to have those mediating roles who understand the actual creative process and who respect that fully, but also understand things like numbers and marketing and data and all of that. So that's what the degree has has essentially prepared me to do. Um, 
while I was undertaking this degree, I started dating a very bizarre Aries French man who, uh, uh, again, story time, we'll get into it. I refer to him as the baguette. Um, I will continue to refer to him that way, but um, that was quite a whirlwind. He's like a man out of out of the movies. Very sexy, very uh, spontaneous, but just a mess in the head. And that led me actually to my current partner, um, who I will not refer to by name, but I call him Cutes. So from here on, we'll just call him Cutes or my man or whatever. Um, I met him as a rebound, essentially, and two plus years later, here we are, still rebounding. So, uh, very grateful, actually, that the baguette fucked up as bad as he did, because it led me to where I am today, and I'm so grateful for that. So as I have continued to mention, I will go back into depth into all of these um, chapters in my life because they all have lessons and uh, experiences that definitely need to be discussed. Um, But during my degree, it was a two-year degree. That's a note for any of you Americans listening. If you want your master's degree in less than three years, consider going abroad because I shaved an entire year off of that degree by going to Europe. So, and I saved a shit ton of moolah, that's for damn sure. Um, But anyway, the first part of the degree was in the classroom. So I was in Paris, you know, the entire time. But the second part of the degree, you're not in the classroom. So you're actually supposed supposed to spend your entire second year doing research for the thesis. So at that point, I moved to Florence, Italy because Italy is my favorite country in the entire world. I know I said I'm an Anglophile, and I do love the United Kingdom, but Italy is um, a place that almost can't be put into words for me. So moving to Florence was kind of a no-brainer at that point. Um, I ended up doing my thesis on Gucci and LVMH and Italian culture and blah, blah, blah. Um, but my time in Florence was difficult, but very, very fulfilling. I also took a fashion buying internship, uh, there as well. So I was studying, writing my thesis, fucking around, eating gelato. Um, my cutes was back in Paris, so we had a long distance relationship for about nine months. But as he is an Italian, I still felt very close to him culturally, Um, after that, I submitted my thesis, did not get very good (laughs) marks on it, and uh, I did graduate, though, and that's what's important, and that was an entire year ago, um, so after that, I was completely lost, not knowing which country do I want to start my career, what kind of career do I actually want, I had spent pretty much a year applying to fashion jobs and luxury jobs in Paris with zero luck, um, which was hard to swallow because initially the reason that I took that degree was because I wanted to fulfill my lifelong dream of working for LVMH. For those of you who don't know, that is the owner of the brand Louis Vuitton and Moet Hennessy, 
and a gazillion other brands that we buy. Fenty is owned by them. All kinds of things. I haven't given up on my dream of working for them someday, but uh, I learned that it just wasn't for me at the time, and I frankly was not given the opportunity. So um, I kind of became de dejected for a while, which might be surprising for some of you who know me, because it seemed like at that point my life was thriving. And it was in a way, because I essentially spent my time being a Parisian housewife, no shade to cutes, because he never asked me of that, asked that of me. Um, but I did spend most of my days either traveling uh, alone with him sometimes, but usually alone, um, going back and forth through the UK, getting injectables, meaning Botox and filler, uh, walking around Paris, going to museums, cooking, cleaning the house, um, which, you know, I, I jokingly say I live the life of a Parisian housewife, but um, I had, like, no shade towards that because I really enjoy kind of living that life, even with all of the education and seeming purpose that I had put into my education I didn't really see it as a failure to be living that life because I enjoyed it so much. Um, so yeah, that was how I spent probably nine, ten months of my life. And I did so much growth in that period. I loved the flexibility of being able to pick up and travel with him whenever he had work assignments or you know, chasing uh, uh, musical artists around Europe or, or just taking vacations when I wanted to. And honestly, if I could live like that for the rest of my life, throwing my degrees out the window, I probably would. And during my period as a Parisian, quote-unquote, Parisian housewife, um, one of the women who raised me, my aunt, passed away which was really difficult because she was not herself in the end and she was frankly not very nice to me in the last year or so of her life. This is harder to talk about than I realized. Um, but she, you know, she was the one who funded everything that I've talked about so far. And I don't just mean financially. That was a huge part of it because she was a white woman, by the way, not that that matters at the moment, but it might down the line. Um, she was a child of German immigrants growing up in America during World War II, and she earned her wealth from literally like living in South Dakota poverty up to being a millionaire. And through that, she was able to basically provide me with the life that I've lived. I would be just another statistic of a forgotten black girl in America without her, honestly. So that was a hard turning point, but the timing of it I don't think is a coincidence because she passed away in November of 2019 and then our good friend COVID-19 hits right after that. And I feel as if she departed intentionally in a way before this happened before all the protesting, all of that, because, you know, she was married to a black man for a lot of her life. So racial topics are very complex with her. She married into my family, which is 
a mostly black family. And I think it would honestly break her heart to see what's going on right now. Even though what's going on is progress, it's just, I think it would have been too heavy for her as well as the virus. So in a lot of ways, I'm really glad that she left. Um, when she departed, she left me quite a sum of money, which... Um, again, I don't think is a coincidental timing because while most of the world is in financial uproar at the moment, I'm for once feeling very financially secure thanks to her. And I don't know how I would be surviving this virus had she not given me that money and given me that money to start the business that I started this year and to travel and to you know, be able to afford sitting at home in San Francisco for half a year. Um, and moving into that, my final kind of up-to-date life topic, um, I'm still in that relationship. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm releasing this in July. I haven't seen him since January when we went to the town of Bergamo, where his family is from, and that may sound familiar because it's where one of the largest COVID outbreaks in Europe happened. So it's been definitely a whirlwind. Um, I'm going to see him in about two days for the first time in six months. So I'm very excited about that. But um, this downtime has allowed me, like I said, to start my business. Um, I spent a lot of time over the last year thinking, what am I good at? And what can I actually present to people? Because I know I'm good at a lot of things. But for some reason, HR offices, unless they talk to me, interview, like in an interview or face-to-face, -face, it's hard for me to relay my value on a, a cover letter or, or a resume. So I spent my, my year thinking, what am I really good at? And the answer is travel. Um, for so many years, people have commented on how do you travel like that? You know, how do you afford it? Um, how do you have the time? And I realized through those questions that travel is a skill, and I'm very good at it. And everywhere that I've traveled has been such an enriching cultural, mental, physical experience, all of the above, that I decided I want to help other people do that. Um, so as of now, I'm currently working on forming that business into exactly what I want it, want it to be and making sure that it is sustainable as a real career. So that's what's up. <laughs> so I know this has maybe been a bit drony and lacking any real comedy and I promise you that I am funny and awesome and all of the things you want in a podcast host, but I just felt it was so important to give you context of my life story so you can understand and start to pick apart areas that you may relate for future episodes. Um, but yeah, that's where I am right now. It's literally July 2020. I have re-recorded this episode probably five or six times over the past six months. And um, I think it's just time to discuss. I'm you know, starting to gain visibility on social media, which is frightening, but I think there's a reason for it, and I think <clears throat> that my stories and my, my life needs to be shared, again, for representation, for visibility, for all of that, because 
We are in a period of alienation and separation, literal and uh, mental and all of the above. Um, so I just feel like it's my duty at the moment to bring humanity to people like me, whether that's black women, women, Americans, you know, all the things that I keep listing. I just need to add a touch of humanity um, and provoke some thought because we have a lot of thinking to do as a human race as uh, the next few years come about. Um, and so I'm putting all of my insecurities, which are frankly not many, aside um, and trying to put myself out there and do so authentically and honestly. Because I know in the beginning I mentioned I don't have a niche, I don't have a brand, but I would say part of my my personal brand is authenticity. Uh, my authenticity has alienated a lot of people over the years, but now they're finally coming back to it because they realize that they crave that. And, you know, I see a lot of celebrities, for example, putting out there that they're authentic and blah, 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 but there's still a lack of transparency uh, amongst people who have voices. And... I have a voice. I'm lucky enough to have one. Uh, part of that is not luck. Part of it is definitely hard work and and intention. But let's just be real, you know? I, I, I don't really see any other way to operate besides being real with you guys and with myself. So, <clears throat> as I mentioned... Um, there will be no specific theme of this podcast. There's no order. You don't have to listen to episodes in order at all, besides hopefully listening to this one first. But it's going to be a journey, and I think it'll be good for me as well as hopefully for those of you who are listening. Um, I don't have a format for this podcast yet, but I'm going to try to keep episodes under an hour. Um, <laughs> I know that sounds like, oh, seriously, but I, you know, like I said, I have a lot to say and I want to go in depth on so many topics and same goes for like story time. I have uh, a lot to say, a lot of details that are relevant. So anyway, I hope you have at least somewhat enjoyed my opening episode. Um, I hope again, you can find something to relate to and Thank you so much for being here and for allowing me to share my hot, sexy life with you. Um, so let's get down to it. Let's, let's, let's do this, make this journey together. Let's make it real, make it hot, make it sexy. I don't know. Whatever, man. So, yeah. Thanks. <laughs>